Wrestling fans, this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. And gentlemen, if you have hair, this tool is for you. If you're like my friend Tom, who's hairless, he's like a seal, you don't need this product. But if you're like most of us and want to keep the family jewels up to snuff this summer, check out Manscaped. We've partnered with Manscaped and are now offering a 20% discount to podcast listeners. Use the promo code WCML at checkout at manscaped.com. I've wrestled in 16 U.S. Opens, been in a final of 12 of them. I actually won one. And in saying all those things, I never qualified for a state tournament in high school. I know you already knew this, but... We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life. Our guest today is Tom, the Big Cat Erickson, one of the great heavyweight wrestlers of all time, Tom grew up in Illinois, never qualified for the high school state tournament, but went on to wrestle in 12 U.S. Open finals. He won one in 1997. He was also a three-time Olympic alternate and then went on to have a storied career in the early days of MMA, fighting in front of 50,000 Japanese fans at the early Pride events. Tom is currently the assistant coach at Duke and has stories that stand the test of time I hope you enjoy this episode. Fan of the Week goes to Adam Aikman representing Yukai, California. Thank you for the gear purchase, Adam. We greatly appreciate it. If you want to buy a Wrestling Change My Life t-shirt, go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the big cat, Tom Erickson. Let's just roll right on into it. Tom Erickson, welcome to the podcast, sir. Oh, man, my, my pleasure. I always love to, to be on one of these, especially with the Chicagoland guy. Amen. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> we had fun talking earlier today, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Just kind of give us the the high level of your career, kind of the speech you get, uh, <laughs> to camps and the, and the kids you coach, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, yeah, I, I did this a little bit with you, you know, and I, and I kind of beg forgiveness as I start through this. I, I, I give a little speech and stuff like that, but, you know, I've, I've – uh, I've been, I've wrestled in the U.S. Open. Um, I've wrestled in 16 U.S. Opens, been in a final of 12 of them. I actually won one um, and then finished no lower than third. I've won the World Cup. I've been second in the World Cup multiple times. I've won 28 international tournaments. I've been the alternate on three Olympic teams, uh, two-time Division I All-American, two-time Junior College National Champion, an Outstanding Wrestler, Most Falls Award. Um, and those are all pretty neat accomplishments. And in saying all those things, I never qualified for a state tournament in high school. I know you already knew this, but uh, I never qualified. I, 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 the, the, the closest I got was a fourth place finisher, and they took top three in a sectional in Illinois. So I, I, I didn't make it. So, yeah, kind of a fun, hard luck story, whatever you want to say, but uh, motivated and driven and stuff like that. And uh, I've been really fortunate to have some special people along my way. And obviously most of them are coaches, but uh, just some guideposts to kind of push me in that direction and uh, a lot of internal fortitude and drive and desire. When did the, when did the clarification of your goals and your vision start for you? Uh, 
You know, I went to a Division three school. Like I say, none of this happened. I went to a Division three school, University of Dubuque. Tore up my knee. I spent roughly three and a half weeks in and out of a hospital, staph infection, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, end up transferring back to this little old junior college in Illinois called Triton College. And once I was there, uh, so the first year, I basically registered the rest of that second semester. They won the national title. Uh, the next year, became eligible, was the starting heavyweight. I won the national title. The team won a national title when I was there. Uh, like I said, I was at Triton College. Uh, after the season, oh, about a month or so after the season, walked into the, the head coach's office, gentleman, awesome gentleman named Art Kraft, and uh, walked into him, fighting back tears. Told him, uh, Coach Kraft, um, I, I just want to talk to you. He goes, well, what, what, what do you need, big hog? And I'm like, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to wrestle anymore. And he's like, what do you mean you're not going to wrestle? I go, Coach, I I never qualified for a tournament in high school. I, I'm in the student senate. I'm, I'm working. I had a job. It was Burger King, but it was a job. I'm going to school. I, I just won a national title. We won a national title. It's not getting better than that. I mean, I I, I know nearsightedness now, et cetera. But I mean, that, that that's my thought process. I'm like, I I just I I can't. I can't thank you enough for what you've done and, and everything you've given to me and this team and everything else, but I just don't see it going anywhere for me. And he goes, look, you're going to be fine. You are going to wrestle next year. I'm like, coach, I, I just, I really don't think it's going to happen. I just, I don't see. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to wrestle next year. Cause I, I want you to know something. You're going to be my last. You're going to be the last one I coach. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to turn that down? You know? Yeah. So boom, I, you know, I wrestle again win the national title, uh, pin my way through it. I did it the first year. I pinned everybody I wrestled the first year. I pinned three. I got a bye, pinned three, one tech fall, won the title. Next year, I pinned everybody I wrestled again. So I was like one of the first ones to do it once, and I did it twice. I'm probably one of the – it's got to be a limited group. Pinned my way through it, OW, most falls and stuff like that. End up going to Oklahoma State. Uh, How'd you jump from not being a high school state qualifier to pinning your way through JUCOs? I don't get it. Uh Man, if, if I had that answer, I'd be a like gold medal coach too. I don't know. <laughs> it's just you know, it's it just a chip on my shoulder. It's, you know, late bloomer, lots of fun things. Late bloomer, and I, I said it briefly in you know in our little intro. I'm like, man, there, there's a lot of really neat people in my life, and Art Kraft was one of my high school coach who dragged me around the little tournaments. Uh, um, Greg Zydema, he he did you know some great stuff for me then. Uh, Art Kraft there at Triton, then Joe C there Art. Art Martori, Sunkiss Kids, Joe C at Oklahoma State kind of drove me on, um, you know, and the crazy thing. So I, I went to JUCO titles. So I transfer. I'm going to go to Oklahoma State, sign with Oklahoma State that summer, that 84, 85 summer. Um, you know, Olympics are over. So that summer I go to the U.S. Open, which is in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And I take third. I take third in the U.S. Open. You know, a JUCO guy take third in the U.S. Open. I end up losing to uh, Andy Schwab. Bruce wins it. Schwab takes second. I take third. I beat a guy, a monster, a monster by the name of Rick Peterson. He wrestled at Lockhaven years ago, back in, you know, the 84, 85, right in there, his senior year. He was, he was a chiseled, you know, Greek god. Ended up pinning him to take third. Went to the trials, was ranked second in the U.S. So I go from two-time JUCO champ to being ranked second on the, the senior circuit in, in U.S. Open from not having even placed in a high school state tournament qualified. Let's go there. So being a Midwest guy, how come you didn't go to Iowa? How'd you get to Oklahoma state? Nobody recruited me. I mean, I would not do transfers. You know, I talked, I looked at, uh, as actually it was down to Iowa state and Oklahoma state were the two. And I went to back to back business with those guys. And uh, just, I just, I, I like the campus, the atmosphere down there. And so I ended up going to Oklahoma state. So that era, when you got there is one I covered heavily in that, documentary series i was telling you the smiths and man tommy chesbro on the outs joe c coming in he was an outsider he gets in that car crash and then he kind of starts to turn the program around but if you got there in the summer of 84 85 85 so 85 86 85 86 86 87 were my two years there what what was your uh, impression and memories of joe c I liked the guy, really, really good guy. Would give you the shirt off his back. He cared so much. I think, you know, if you were to sit there and look at what 
the allegations and things that he yeah. was accused of, admitted to and stuff, it were little peddly things. And, uh, you know, what they're all saying is the, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And when you start lying and say, I didn't do this and didn't do that, it's worse than what it was. And basically, he was trying to help kids that he had signed, have them pay them fair salary, go to camp, work camps and stuff like that. And uh, I think he, he had to replace a kid's engine who was dragging his T-shirt camp around and stuff like that. Uh, some little, little piddly things. But when you you start lying to the you know big brother they don't like it and they they kind of slap you down a little bit and absolutely and outside of all that stuff but like as a coach though he was just like a master mentor and you really enjoyed working with him uh really open mind he, he wasn't a hands-on guy he, he liked to let the room take care of itself mm-hmm. people and I, I equate that to camps that i went you know with usa wrestling camps where man the, our best teachers were the, the athletes themselves i mean dave schultz would do technique with us john you know would be doing technique this is when john started out in his little run you know with his six but john would do it Zeke Jones, Melvin Douglas, phenomenal technique on his lace series. Zeke Jones was really, really good. You had to pry it out of Zeke. Zeke was tight with the technique. But Kevin Jackson, you know, you can name those old timers and those, all those guys I've been naming, World Olympic champions and stuff like that, who, who would run our practices. And Joe would just kind of would bring these people in. They gravitate towards Joe and he'd bring these people in. And oh, by the way, it didn't hurt that we had Kenny Monday, Mike Sheets in the room, Akira Odo, two-time Olympic silver medalist. I've got some pictures. I probably ought to send you a picture. You like, yeah, our staff: Corey Bays, Kendall Cross, John Smith, myself, Mike Sheets, Akira Odo. That was a, that was like a coaching staff. And my so. man Vince Alvarez. I got to get him in there. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's uh, he's another one. I just love that era in Oklahoma because. There was a lot going on. Of course, the great John Smith was on his rise. What was your first impression of John Smith coming from Juco's to meeting this? You know, I don't know if he was a living legend yet, but he was on his way. He, he wasn't. Not not yet. I mean, he, uh, like I say, I, I was there 80, 80, 85, 86, and that was right before the Goodwill Games. You know, John's coming off that loss. He got hurt. He's kind of beat up in that loss with Jordan. Bad shoulder. So people don't really, I don't think, remember that. But he, he wasn't 100% in that match. And uh, so he's coming off that loss in the NCAA finals. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to redshirt or, you know, he's not even going to wrestle. Okay. But he's in there training and doing all these things. And he, he wasn't the legend there. I mean, he's just, a, I know it sounds bad. He's only an NCAA runner up at the time. I know right. how petty that sounds, but uh, at the time. Uh, so yeah, he wasn't the guy, but you know, there's other all Americans we had in the room, et cetera. So he was just another one of the guys, uh, but you, you could tell there's something different about John, a little bit out of his own. He did a little bit of things on his own, kind of focused on his own. Uh, Joe gave him the leash to gravitate and grab these guys red shirting. What do you need, John? Let's help you get to where you want to go during your red shirt year. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Uh, I think the big, the big page turning incident for him. Uh, so winning the Goodwill games. Yeah. Definitely. You know, that, that, that was huge. That's the, that's the coming out party of John Smith. You know, he's coming off of he's red shirt. He's in the NCAA finals. Lose to, to Jordan, go Jim Jordan. And he goes out there and wins the Goodwill games. And oh, by yeah. the way, USA wrestling had a pretty good performance in the Goodwill games that year as well in Seattle. And Sarkissian, not Sark. It wasn't even Sarkissian yet. It was, uh, God, now the guy's name's escaping me, but he beat him at Tbilisi. And then you know, six months later, John beats him. But you know, this isn't about John. This is about you. And so let's continue on. But I get, I get, I got a little ADD, big cat. So I go down some tangents here. Talk to me about, so you, your time at Oklahoma state, two-time All-American. I choked twice. Let's be honest. I choked twice. I went in number one both years. So what, Looking back at it, sorry, I'm, I'm just hey, no, if, I appreciate if you learn about me. I'm pretty brutally honest, even if it's self deprecating, it, it's a fact. You're gonna have some of your listeners like, Yeah, he choked. Well, he did. I lost, I, was, I went in number one twice. And so is this and, something and where stepping onto the mat, you knew you were in trouble, you just couldn't cope with the nerves? Like, what was like your kind of your self talk before the, the match you lost each time? You know, that was crazy. Uh, we had a coach, look, he was there for just a really short time in Gary Keck, and he's like, You know, I never worried about you because I won two Juco titles. And oh, by the way, I wasn't even supposed to win those. Uh, but, you know, I, I wrestled uh, the first one. In the semis was uh, I lost to a guy named John Heropolis from Iowa State. I run up enough for two schools I was going to go to. I've beaten John four times during the year. Uh, a couple of them were close, but I beat John. 
And uh, he was coached by Lou Bannock. And I think uh, to be really candid, I, I, I'll say it to his face as well, but I think Lou was a little butt hurt. I didn't go to Iowa State. I think he would have had Heropolis go down, which would have been tough because they had Eric Volker there. Yeah. Uh, had him go down to 97 or John might not have made the team. Um, so he, you know, that he had to beat me. So they, they shut the match down. They really shortened the match, shortened the match, shortened the match out of bounds, this, that really smart, did as little as possible, sniped a takedown on me. Um, there was actually a little flurry where they got a stall call and I should have got a warning, uh, but I didn't get it. So he just beat me, he slowed everything down. I'm frustrated. I'm a wild freelance guy. If anybody has seen me wrestle back in the day, I'm like, let's just go move, dance around and move, 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 move. And I think I got a little frustrated and uh, he shut everything down. He wasn't going to wrestle me, but he had four chances to beat me. He never did. And uh, he frustrated me in that one. Uh, the next one, <coughs> excuse me, uh, was that my senior year was against the Dean Hall in the semifinals. Uh, that one was really frustrating because I wrestled Dean that year in the East-West All-Star match in Edinburgh because Dean was from Edinburgh. And oh, by the way, we all know who Dean Hall was coached by. If you don't, his name is Bruce Bumberger, was the head coach at Edinburgh at that time. So uh, so I go in that match. I'm hitting a shot. Oh, well, not there. He gets it, slips a takedown. Uh, you know, a takedown doesn't bother me because I know I'm going to get 10 others, whatever. Keep going and just just some crazy stuff on the edge. I don't think the match was officiated really well. And I know I didn't wrestle very well. And uh, so I lose there in the semis. Dean goes into the finals and he wrestles, oh, by the way, a guy named Carlton Hasselrig. Right. Who wins the title. He beats Dean, wins the title. And it's like, woo, that's the first of his his little GOAT resume. So, uh, you know, another fun deprecating story, self-deprecating story. So I lose the match. I sit in the chair. And... Uh, Josie comes back over, you know, he's frustrated, kind of hits me on the shoulder. Goes, well, let's, you know, come on, let's go. Let's get back. And I said, Joe, I'm not wrestling. I'm not wrestling. I'm not taking third. I don't want to. I don't care. What? Dude I, dude, I came to win this. I was, what, 41 to know at that time. I had, uh, I don't know, 36 bonus wins, 26 falls. Just crushing whatever. people. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm ranked second in the United States in freestyle. And I can't even get win a college title. That's a joke. I, I, never mind. So uh, two other people, Joe leaves. Cause I look at Joe and Joe ain't doing nothing for me. Cause I'm not, I mean, I, I respect him. I love him, but I, I was just staring at him. No. So he kind of walks away. I had two other people walk up to me, Jeff Blatnick, Bruce Baumgartner said, man, you got to wrestle. And I'm like, man, I, I just don't, dude, I, I don't know. Bruce, you know, and I, and I kind of started to get to know Bruce then, and I knew Blatnick a little bit, but, uh, and they're like, man, you, you got to wrestle. You're just too good not to wrestle. You got to get entertain people tomorrow. So I was like, oh man, nah, I just. So you I were was, really thinking, know. were you really thinking that, or you were just saying that five minutes after the match, you were really thinking you were. Oh, I thought that five minutes after the match, I absolutely thought that. Dude, I, look, I blew it last year. Now I'm, I'm Okay. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And I did it a second time. Now I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to do this, man. I'm, I'm kicking butt and doing this, and I can't even win this tournament. That made me so mad. And then, you know, so boom, I go back and wrestle uh, the next day. So I'm going to wrestle. The next day we go there. We have a kid on a team named Vince Silva. Love him to death. I've almost killed him a couple of times in a room, you know. So we're, we're, we're there in – the, the that, that session of starting that sessions all the losers the losers bracket right yeah so i got my stuff i'm just sitting in the chair and uh vince is jogging he comes by and he goes hey what are you doing down here this is the losers bracket i go mother trucker i, <laughs> trucker. I go very funny very funny so i end up and not warming up kind of just a little brief warm-up and russell took third and just said okay college is done start my 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 freestyle career that was it, man. Yeah, I know it sounds bad. It's like, God, that guy's a putz for wanting to do that. I go, no. it's just my mindset. I just, I, I just couldn't fathom getting up and, and just going, wanting to wrestle and take third when, you know, I, I, I cleaned up the bracket. Like I said, I think 36 out of the 41 was four, ended up being 41 and one that year, uh, 36 out of more bonus points. So is that something that nagged at you for a long time or were you able to process it and move forward? I processed it and still nags at me. You say what you want, but it's, yeah, that, that bugs me. Uh, I, I clearly had the field covered. 
and 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 it happened you know so I, I don't dwell on it like oh man and stuff like that uh it's a great coaching coaching situation and it's a, it's a story I bring up to, to, to athletes and stuff when I get in situations but uh it, it also helps guide and mold me not to give up and not and, and to keep going and, and and believing in something and doing you know and continue I mean as this story goes on you know I say that believing in something you know you look at our landscape of our wrestlers Greco and freestyle you look at there's two guys and we've talked about them both uh and when we were talking earlier today Matt Gafari and Rulon Gardner. Well, guess what style they started in? They started in freestyle. They weren't Greco wrestlers. They both were dominant freestyle wrestlers. Well, by the way, we had this old chap named Bruce Baumgartner. Not many people were beating him. And then they had a guy, me, Tom Erickson, that nobody was beating him either. So there's two guys they had to beat. So they slid over to Greco. Well, old knucklehead Tom actually had the first chance to slide over to Greco. And I never did because I wanted to do it in freestyle. And I wanted to beat Bruce. And you wrestled Bruce Baumgartner, Yankee said like 20, 22 times, 24 times. No, it was like, uh, I said 26 or 28. 26 or 28. Okay. Yeah, and I, so he you, knows better than me and our losses. So I don't count him. He, he counts good for him. And you, I mean, but because of, so you wrestled him a bunch. Uh, you got second at the Olympic trials in what, 92 and 96? Is that right? No, uh, yeah. I, uh, 88, 92, and 96, all three. Uh, <sighs> Pensacola. Pensacola. Uh, Duquesne was in Pittsburgh and then Seattle. Oh, yeah. oh by the way, I, I'm going to jump around on you a little. I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, remember that guy named Carlton Hauserig? They called the goat. Carlton Hauserig, see my hand? Five, five and oh, lifetime. He's never beaten me. 88 Olympic trials. I beat him twice in the trials. I beat him in the pre trials in Kansas and Topeka, Kansas. Beat him in the Olympic trials. The next year, I beat him in the semifinals in the Midlands. So I get into Russell Bruce. Carlton has never beat me. So that that's another thing I would never let happen. But wow. So the goat, I got it. I got it. Carlton Hasseregg, Hall of Famer. Actually, you look at the Hall of Famers. I've beaten Blatnick. I've beaten uh, I've beaten Gafari. I've beaten Hasseregg. I've beaten Jameel Byers. I've beaten a few. Kerry McCoy. I used to beat all those guys. They're all in the Hall of Fame. So I feel okay. Who did you beat in 97 to make the world team? 97. 97. I think Tully, Tully Thompson. I think he upset uh, Justin. Justin Greenlee beat Kerry McCoy, and then Tully beat Greenlee, and then I wrestled Tully in the finals. And Greenlee was from UNI, right? Huh? Yes. Was, yeah, okay. Oh, That's Tully right. was from Nebraska. Yep. Now, I've had McCoy on, and he was talking about the guy from UNI upset him in the semis at the NCAA tournament. That's Greenlee, yeah. Justin yeah, Greenlee. yeah. So Sorry. there's so many things we're going to cover, but – one of the things you said earlier that I thought was so cool was, you know, once Bruce had won and solidified himself, he didn't go to a lot of the national or the international tours. And so you were the number two guy. So you got to go. So talk about that a little bit. Like what was the international tour scene like in the nineties and like, like who was there? Where'd you guys go? That kind of stuff. Well, you, you, you mentioned a little bit like John, John, when John came on the scene, he wrestled in the Goodwill games. He wrestled in a, a, a bunch of these events. Um, Bruce Burnett, love the guy. He just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, had a little formula in terms of what, how many matches you need on that senior level to kind of prepare yourself for the world and championships. Everybody's slightly different, but for the general was in the 20s or something like that, international matches, friendlies, and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, well, early in guys' careers, Bruce's career, John's career, they wrestled in those. Well, I come in on the scene, 85, 86, Bruce is wrestling with them a little. He wrestled Tbilisi, uh, uh, World Cup. They always wrestled the World Cup because those are the big high dollar events. They wrestled, they used to have these events called the Grand Prix. Uh, they had one in New York underneath and felt form in the Grand Prix. John wrestled. Uh, uh, Sergey. Sergey, yeah, that's right. Sergey. Bruce wrestled Gobeshvili. Uh, you know, and Kenny, Kenny, well, Pesayev went up in one year in the, for the Worlds and Kenny beat him, but they brought somebody up. Uh, it was a variety. He probably wrestled variety up there or something. But anyway, those guys would wrestle big time events. <clears throat> now, the way the structure was back then, you know, the number one guy got his choice of different events. There's, you know, there's only about four events, three, four events. There's Cuba, Tbilisi tour, and that's like a month long tour. There's a Kresniarz tour. And there's just a, there's a, only a handful of tours back then. Um, and so the number one guy got a tour, number two guy got a tour, number three guy, we only had three guys deep on the national team. They all got their choice of tours. 
Well, you, like you, you touched on it, Bruce didn't go on those tours. He was coaching, you know, took over the job at Edinburgh, was assistant, then was going to take over the job at Edinburgh. So he didn't go on those tours. So I'm just this young single guy, young punk out of college and just coming on the scene. I'm like, I'm in, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I start jumping in on these tours. So I would do double tours. So I would literally spend a month and a half, two months in Europe. You know, I'm either in training camp or I'm in Europe wrestling or Cuba or South America or whatever. And I, I would wrestle in one of these events and it was trial by fire. We go to a little mini training camp, go over there, train with other people over there, get in the tournament and wrestle. So, so, where, yeah. so when you're gone, you say it's a month long. So you weren't just going over for the tournament coming back. You guys were doing like one or two tournaments and doing, like you said, some training beforehand. No, we I guess the, I use the word friendlies now, yeah. but they were exhibition duels. Like you say, back in the day when the United States used to host the World Cup or events over here, well, they'd bring Russia over and they'd wrestle two or three duels. Like I'd wrestled Russia and Alaska, Bangor, Maine, you know, California. and then Portland. You don't see that anymore. Why don't they do that? But, but that exactly. We don't do that. But that's what they used to do. If you remember, yeah. we do that. Well, that same thing applied going overseas. We'd go overseas to wrestle in Tbilisi, well, it's a pretty novelty thing back in the day when, you know, the American wrestling team comes in. So we would go to one of these little villages, Yakuts, and wrestle a duel on the stage in front of, you know, a thousand people, and then go ahead and fly out to another place, train a couple of days, wrestle another duel, wrestle the tournament, fly back to Moscow, Moscow back to the States. So that had up to about two, three weeks where you'd sit there and bounce around the, 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 the country and it was just in front of just to get little, I call it, like I said, they're now they're soccer friendlies, but now yeah. those exhibition matches. Like that's I said, a, you remember them. We used to do it all the time back in the day with the World Cup. Well, that's a perfect word from friendlies because uh, that's what they are, you know, and, and and just through all that research I had done about John, they used to have a lot of them in Stillwater, um, yes. a lot of them. And uh, like you said, Portland randomly. Um, yep. Of all, not maybe not randomly, but it seems odd now because there's, you know, you don't think of Portland as having these big time duels, but they had them all over. And I met Clyde uh, Drexler at the duel in Portland. Really? Yeah, he was coming out of the locker room or something like that. That dude was like super skinny and tall. That's what I remember. And you kind of in the, 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 the national team and stuff like that. The, the Rose Garden, that's the building, their, their, their venue is a Rose Garden there in Portland, Oregon. So when you would go to like Russia, for example, for a couple of weeks, I don't know why, but I'm always curious, like, what are you guys eating the whole time? Are you getting like, like you're going out to eat at restaurants and sitting down or are they just kind of feeding you like whatever the guys are eating? Like, how do you navigate We get all that? fed whatever the guys are eating. I mean, whatever they would have training tables. What we do is like, we go to places and, uh, which is really cool. It's kind of selfish in a sense that they, they, they take super good care of Americans, uh, especially in Cuba. But like we'd go to these places and they they put on their best for us because it was a big deal. The Americans would come in and they would do these things. So, uh, you know, really cardinal, really rule of thumb, first rule of thumb, just like going to Mexico, South America, drink bottled water. You know, you never drink anything out of tap and uh, make sure everything's cooked, certain temperature and stuff like that. But, you know, caviar, this different stuff, some of the, the borscht. I remember going over there to uh, Minsk. We were staying at Stike, their Olympic training center. We had borscht. I got sick and lost 12 pounds in camp. We were in there. Camp. I got sick. And I just couldn't eat. I just stayed in my room. And I could just smell the borscht from the kitchen, just whatever, was, however far away. And I just would just think about it and throw up. It was just miserable. So oh. now you want to throw some beet soup at me, I'd probably choke you. <laughs> Who were like your buddies on that? Like, who'd you become like best friends with on all those travels over the years? Uh, you know, I, I, a guy we talked about, Royce Alger. He, he'd wrestle a lot of them. Dan Chade. Melvin Douglas uh, was one. Um, Townsend a little bit before 96 because he wasn't the guy. 96 was like 95, 96. It was a miracle that Townsend Saunders came in there. And if you remember, his name wasn't even Townsend back then. It was Junior Saunders. So what What was that? Who was the guy? Was it like Dolph? And then he he fell off? Was it Because I was at 45, right? 45 and a half? Um, we had uh, Metzger. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because the weight up. So Metzger made his little comeback. Uh, Al Freeman was there. Well, that was in the beginning. Al Freeman, Metzger. Um, right. I'll tell you a stud. Like, 80s, right? Yeah, this is late 80s. I'll tell you the stud, that the, the crime of the century was Joe Russell. That dude was. was yeah, was a, yeah, yeah. Right I, there. Remember at the Olympic Festival? He cleaned house. He beat them all. 
He beat Freeman and Metzger, won the Olympic Festival, then had the motorcycle accident. I've had his brother on here because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, his brother was a four-time Division II champ and beat and pinned Pat Smith and Pat Smith's first say, uh, college that, match. Yes, I was going to yeah. say that. First college and, match. And then Good five up. years later, it's Oklahoma State senior night. Pat's about to win his fourth. Iowa's in town. Gable pulls Joe Williams at a red shirt, the last duel of the season. And Pat Smith texts Joe Williams at Stillwater. Uh, it's like, man, like that's a way to open your career and end your career against uh, Joe Russell's brother and, uh, and Joe Williams. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to make it through a podcast without saying Joe Williams' name, but it's hard for me to do. So yeah, although, was a st- the heck, the whole Williams, he might not even been the best. Steve might have been the Stevie best. Stevie was Stevie. Rest <laughs> right? in peace. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, so DJ just, was good. Joe was phenomenal. Oh, and then, yeah. you know, heck, you know, was it in Joe's, I think, junior, senior year at the at the Big Ten tournament, Joe lost, got dropped into the loser's bracket. We had a guy named um, James Cernich who had to wrestle him in the, the console semis. It was one of those live or die matches. Joe loses. Now he's the defending national champ. I he think lost at the opinion, time. right? Yeah. And the front side, then yeah. and we're, we're, we had him beat. We had him beat because Joe didn't care. But I mean, he, he, he did a little bit of my little nonsense, you know, and what I said and what I, but Joe did not wrestle like he was motivated and then boom, turn around and just, because he was just so much better than James beat James yeah. went on and placed fifth or third, third, fifth, qualifies for nationals. Of course he wins a national title, but yeah, we almost came that close to clipping him in that console bracket. Cause he was so down from losing to Ernest Banyan. And so this is when you were coaching at Purdue. Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so Sorry, I mean, we're all over the place. I hope these people. Oh, I, they're good with it. They're good with. They're long for the ride, man. So tell me about, you know, let's see. The last time you beat Bruce, or or you went head to head with Bruce, probably '96. Talk about kind of your the spring of '96 leading up to the trials, because you told me that's the best you've ever wrestled. Yeah, that, I, I, you know, from '90, you know, people, people. Said, hey, you know, we United States had a couple guys. Well, we did, but it wasn't true until 92, 93, to be honest, where Mm. I could I could be there. Uh it was that in that 92, 93 thing, I was going overseas and I was winning tournaments. I I I beat Schroeder from Germany. Uh, I I beat Medvedev. I started beating guys that were somebodies, you know, and 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 started beating people. So I started making that ascent. Uh, and oh, by the way, I was training with Bruce. You know, I was his training partner. He'd fly me to Edinburgh. His wife would cook dinner for us and stuff really? like that. And then, you know, from, from Bruce smashing me, teching me, et cetera, to now it's a three or four, it's a six-point match, three or four-point match, two, three-point match. The, the workouts ended. We didn't work out. We didn't train together anymore. Our workouts in national team camps got a little testier. I think I punched him on a couple occasions. Just hold on, we got to hit the brakes here. So, <laughs> when did you when did you go? So when you went out and trained with them and lived with them, what was? Like, it was what training was season. I didn't live there, but I, I I mean I lived at a hotel, but I trained there. I mean that was a special thing. But I eat dinner at his house and stuff like so that. So that it's like what when you got to kind of have like a behind the curtains look at at the master and what he was doing. Like what was his temperament like in workouts and like what were the workouts like themselves? Focused, focused. There, he had a, a a set thing that he wanted to warm up. He had an air dime. There there was a workout. He did he'd run a little bit. And over at Edinburgh, there's a bunch of hills and stuff. So he would have some a hill workout that he would do, you know, and, and do some runs there. He'd have a uh, and now I've adapted it a little bit as his aerodyne workout where, you know, I've got to get certain speed, this, this and this. And it wasn't a big deal. But now we all have these smart watches and stuff. I can monitor my heart rate. I can get up to that 150 range and train there. He would do a nice little aerodyne workout. His workout was really structured we're going to work on these things these things then we're going to do live wrestling for this much we'll do situations for these these go so very structured very disciplined i think the the best thing i can say about bruce is he was always structured always disciplined never really got out of sorts in a in a match and even in practice and that started with practice even his emotions though he was very in control oh yeah absolutely just just very, you know, he, he was and he's just looking at me. He didn't want to come and punch me back. He just like, and all of a sudden, half the people in the room are terrified. They're either running one direction or another, or towards us to stop us. But Bruce was never, you know, I don't ever remember Bruce really getting pissed 
in one of our matches. Uh, a couple times, maybe got him moving a little bit, but not not anything emotional where he lost any of our matches. And and that I would even say that to practice, very very focused, right down the line. Mm. Wasn't athletic, just just really good single. I mean, really look honestly bad technique. He's on his knees on that high crotch and that single, but he's so strong, hunching his back, driving in, finish off, boom, gut wrench gets a nice good solid lock on his gut wrench, drives forward, goes left, gets a two. You know, just really disciplined. And if, if you stop the gut, he dropped down for the lace onto the onto their left leg, soak it up, and try to cross over to the other. So you had to sit up, drop my hip to the I can tell you how I wrestle that match <laughs> verbatim. You know it that cold. I mean, and, and for people who who maybe aren't as familiar, you know, Bruce Bumgartner's international rival was David Gobashvili, now from what would be Georgia at the time, Soviet Union. But one time, uh, Bruce didn't want to go to the World Cup in Mongolia. So you got to go. Could you tell that story? Yeah. So uh, man, I, it's somewhere in the in the late 80s that, that I go. I, I finally get to be the guy, 86, 87, somewhere around there. You know, I, I'd have to look at it. I don't know. I've been hitting the head a bunch since then. But uh, so I got to go to the World Cup. I'm the number two guy. I got to go to the World Cup. And it's over kind of Thanksgiving. And it's in Ulaanbaatar, Bator, Mongolia. It's freezing there. We, we land the plane and it's freezing. They literally, and this doesn't happen, uh, but they brought a bus out for us. Usually they, they must park the plane out on the tarmac or close by the thing. And you walk into the thing. If you're some of our people who traveled overseas to, to the Soviet Union could, could attest to it. But they had to bring us blankets to cover up so we can go in there. Uh, so it, it's absolutely freezing. We're in this hotel. So we don't go anywhere because it's too cold to go anywhere. Uh, so we're just walking around and then there's a bar in the hotel. And so we're, we're, we're rustling. The, the tournament starts, it's a two day event. So we go down, we're just walking through the hotel because it's bored. We don't have cable TV. We don't have uh, iPhone. I mean, so you either had a Walkman or you read. So it's kind of what you heard. You, you found something else. So walking through the lobby, down through the thing. And then all of a sudden you, you walk by the bar. That's a Russian team. A, a good portion of the Russian team are just sitting in the bar. And I'm just, and I was, I can't remember who I was with. Was it, was it Chade? Somebody? I don't know. And we're looking in there and they're like, hey, isn't that, that's Gubishvili. He's got a girl literally sitting on his lap, just sitting there, you know, hey, drink next to him. He, I, I gotta be careful. I thought he had a cigarette. I could be wrong, but he's just sitting there having a good old time in the bar and I'm going, guess what? We got to wrestle those dudes the next day. So I'm thinking, I got this sucker. Dude, look at those guys. They're in the bar having a good time. And we're going to wrestle those guys tomorrow. I can't believe the nerve of those guys. Well, the nerve of those guys go out there the next day. Bobby Douglas is the coach on that trip. I'm out there. Some craziness. I jump out to a three to one lead on this guy. And I get back to the corner. And I think, cause I'm so new, I'm still new at this. Right. And Bobby's like, Hey, you're doing great. You're doing great. Three more minutes and you're a world cup champion. Tom Erickson, three more minutes, you're a world cup champion. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm feeling, I'm like back in my mind, I saw this dude smoking. He's just hanging out. And, you know, sure enough, you know, it's three to one. I think I ended up losing five, six, six, four or something like that. Maybe scored a point that, that, that next period. And he just, Gobi was so long, you know, you stop his shot. He's like eight inches. It's the same thing with Steven Neal. You stop their shot, but they're so long in arms. They're long in length. And they got six inches wrapped around your leg already. Now you, you stop a normal guy, but not these guys. They would just pull you in, drive you over, get your points. And uh, so, so he beat me. And that I, I told you earlier too, that was the one, there's a couple others, but that was one of the few guys that I never got a chance to get back in my career. There's most of the time I've wrestled so much overseas that I've got them all back. Yeah. You know, I got you once too. So, so even that scenario there, you're in Mongolia, you make weight the next day. Back then, are like all you guys bringing your food with you to the post weigh-in, or are you just eating like whatever they had there? Like, how out of your routine must well, you have been I, on those would, trips? You would, you would try to bring weight. Okay, you had to have a crock pot. <laughs> no, you, you bring a crock, a crock pot. pot. Yeah, you brought a crock pot with man. You had a converter crock pot because you wanted to charge it. You want you, you had to have a converter to have your your um, oh my gosh, the big old clunky things, cassette players and stuff like that. The Walkman. Yeah, so. Uh, so you had a crock pot, you brought ramen noodles or like a dinty more meals. That's what I would bring and stuff like that. So my suitcase would be heavy going in and empty coming back because I would bring food in there. Cause I would be eat very little of what they had over there. Wow. And I'm a big guy and I like, I got a sense of the stomach, right? I'm a big guy, but yeah, I, 
didn't eat a lot. Like I said, your bottle of water, you ate that. There's some stuff. Uh, you, chicken, you ate the chicken, which is probably the nastiest thing you can't eat. Uh, I'm sure we ate dog and cat because you hear them barking one day, you don't hear them the next. So you probably <laughs> had that meal that night. So, so you, you mentioned Stephen Neal. What kind of an athlete was that dude? Just explosive. Just, just really long and explosive. Yeah. You know, and fearless, just fearless. I remember, uh, and when I say an athlete, I mean, could do other things. Uh, we were in 96, we were at the pre-Olympic camp in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we had a little training camp before that the team went to, to Atlanta because we're right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, just for giggles, we competitive knuckleheads that we were, we started playing a little wiffle ball tournament in the little quad area of our dorms and stuff like that. That dude's like one-handed swatting little wiffle balls just a mile away. I'm just really... Just an incredible athlete. And here I am. I'm a pretty good athlete, I thought. But and here's a guy that's like just boom and just doing I'm like, gosh, we got to watch out for this guy. This guy's coming. And the fact that he, you know, went on to the NFL, all of that, just incredible. Um, an awesome representation for wrestling. You know, I love that that guy went out there and you know, never played a lot and then was on, you know, the Patriots. So I just love that that guy did that and that Belichick gave him that shot. Um, well, it wasn't Belichick that gave him the shot initially. Really? Um, he ended up going to Philadelphia or somewhere for a taxi squad. They traded for him. Belichick, so Belichick, they did, but he didn't start with the Patriots. Got it. He started somewhere else, got traded to the Patriots on their taxi squad, won his first Super Bowl ring while being on the taxi squad, then played in the other two Super Bowls, get his other two Super Bowl rings. But it's, you know, it's still a great story. I apologize. No, 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 no. I didn't know that. I like no problem at all. So where were you training at when you weren't traveling during this time? Were you at the OTC? Uh, sometimes at the OTC. The OTC back then was not what the OTC is now, the residence program and stuff like that. There was only a, a it was only a, it was more of a sideshow and a brief stop for some athletes. Uh, what they say back back in the day when we were training there, only like 15 percent of the athletes that actually trained in the Olympic Training Center were Olympic athletes. That number is drastically higher now because they've they've taken out the kids programs. Uh, if you've ever been at the, the Olympic Training Center back when it was in the early stages, they used to have a big old soccer field and track up there. And, you know, for us to get to wherever we were like when we would practice, we would have a training cycle out there. We would go, probably go to the deaf and blind center. We were at the airport one time. We was never any space there for us to train, but we house there, walk across the track, go to the dining, little dining court, then back across. Then they bus us different places. So the oh, OTC what? wasn't what it is now in terms of our elite athletes and the residence program, you know, Schneider there. I mean, Cejudo, these guys using it. It wasn't that way at all back then. Back then. So were you like going out to like Foxcatcher or were you just training at Purdue or? Uh, let me see. A bunch of my training was at Purdue. That was near the end when, when I was done, but I was still at Oklahoma state. So we would train there. Oh, you were uh, based now, out of Stillwater? Based out of Stillwater. We would do training cycles out at Foxcatcher. You know, when that movies, the movies came out and people always ask you, were you ever out there? And I'm like, yeah, I was out there. Matter of fact, I think I'm in one of the movies, like the ESPN version for like five seconds. I, I, uh, I wrestled one duel under the Foxcatcher banner. Hmm. And that was a USA-Cuba duel at Villanova when he was doing, when they had wrestling at Villanova. And in the video, uh, it was really quick. We were watching it with my wife. And she goes, that, that's you, that's you. I said, no, that's Severin. And uh, we replayed it. And sure enough, it was me, John Shake. I, I, I beat uh, Rodriguez, not Rodriguez. Uh, I can't remember his name. Walk off the mat, I'm shaking his uh, DuPont's hand. And it was like for five seconds. Hmm. So I didn't need a SAG card for that. Was it uh, the facilities just lights out or what was it like out there? Uh, it, 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 they weren't lights out. They kind of were, but they weren't. There was actually several facilities. They had a pool. It was all, it was a little hodgepodge where they kind of added on. They had one dominant wrestling room. They had a pool weight room area and then the wrestling room, which was three mats, locker rooms, a little kitchenette at the end. Um, they did have a, a, a technology program called the Dominator Series where they uh, was really groundbreaking and still probably would be considered today where they'd have a guy, they'd employed a guy will take like 15 second clips of scoring techniques. So you get like five to 10 going in, five to 10 on the finish. Yeah. High crotches. 
So I would go on the computer, click it up, look for high crotches. Then I'd find all high crotches and who hit the high crotches. Then I could see their setup and the five or 10 second setup going in. And they had this program there at Foxcatcher. And, and after it all kind of fell apart, nobody knew what happened to it. But uh, we'd stay off campus on uh, some prop, you know, in a hotel. Uh, we'd eat meals in local restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, some of the guys who had friends would stay with the, the fox catcher guys on the farm. Yeah. We, we would go there. I think I've been there four or five times. Sure. Yeah. He, he's a different cat. I yeah. Mean, uh, that's the next question. Yeah. We, I think it's, it's been well proven, whatever. I, I wasn't there the whole time, but I will say, yeah, I'll verify different cat for sure. For sure. Now, outside of your, wrestling career which is really a five-hour conversation to get in and out of every nuts and bolts but um you know like you said number two guy in the u.s one of the top guys in the world for the better part of a decade maybe longer when oh, did you get 95 85 to 2000 there it is 15 years when did you get into mma uh people approach me you know i mean uh our, our first guy was Severn, you know mm-hmm. that got into it and stuff like that and he was a big splash. Then the next guy that got into it was Coleman. And uh, Coleman, you know, he, he was, you know, Severn and Coleman were, were our groundbreakers, you know. And and I had some people approach me about doing it and stuff like that. And then I got to 2000, didn't make the team 2001. I'm like, okay, let's let's try to do this. Let's, let's, let's jump into this and stuff like that. Had a, a gentleman, Rico Ciparelli, who kind of was trying to put some things together and had an idea of what we wanted to do. And he was kind of, he was very groundbreaking. Rico, very smart individual. He brought his brother who was in a, who was like a paralegal, so to speak. A, he would run summons and stuff like that and serve you with your subpoenas and work with the legal department. And uh, so we had that group, but that group became what they would call the raw team, real American wrestlers. Mm. And we had a model, anyone, anytime, anywhere. And uh, of that crew, you had myself, Randy Couture, uh, Dan Henderson, Matt Linland, Dennis Hall, all fought more or less under that raw banner and stuff wow. like that. And uh, we would train out in uh, Hermosa Beach. And then they moved that up into California where Linland had a, a car dealership and had a gym in his back back room and stuff like that. And uh, we, we all represented in there. So I, I've been overseas when, you know, Couture lost to uh, Ensign Inouye. Uh, you know, so a different thing. So matter of fact, we, we fought in Brazil. Uh, Dan Henderson and I both went down to Brazil. Chip really took us both down to Brazil and he won the light heavyweight tournament. I won the heavyweight tournament the same night. I beat uh, Kevin Random in the finals. Tell us about the random and fight. Walk us through uh, it. Uh, fight should have never happened. It should have never happened. Kevin, Kevin has already been on the scene. He hadn't wrestled me. He hadn't fought in the UFC yet, but Kevin, obviously his nickname is, and he's well-deserving of it called the monster. And uh, he had already fought in an event down in Brazil. Um, so the Brazilians are pretty sharp people. So they call up Chipperelli and invite me down to, to fight in this. It's a four-man, not an eight-man, but a four-man tournament. So two fights, one night. I'm like, yes, this is real early in my career. I've got to fight and make my bones. Brazil, Japan. I don't want to say I don't care about the United States. I do, but that's where the fighting's at. Down in Brazil. Back then, it wasn't Japan. even happening in the U.S., really, right? Right. So yeah. they were, they were outlawing it. So you had to make your bones. You had to prove to the people that you were legit. So I had to go fight there. And, you know, so I, I I'm like, boom, yeah, I'm on sign in. So I'm going down there. So I get a call from Coleman and uh, Mark Coleman. And he says, Hey man, I, I hear you're in the, that the Brazil open the 97 Brazil open. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to do it. You know I mean? Um, yeah. I got to make my bones on it. He goes, well, you know, Kev's in there. I'm like, yeah, I heard. And he goes, well, you know, you don't, you guys don't need to be fighting. You know, you need to kind of probably, well, I go, man, he's already won down there. That's, that's your deal. I go, I gotta, you know, we, we gotta fight. I mean, and he's Why like, did he well, want you, you to know, fight him? Because you're both wrestlers or what? Uh, yeah, I'll go with your story. Oh, he was worried about you. I have a personal belief that size matters and he kind of knows that I'm a pretty big guy and Kevin's not as big as I am. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, because yeah, Randall Man wrestled Mark Ryland in college. I was like 167. Uh, yeah. So he, so after about 10 years of Mexican supplements, he was a heavyweight. Or was he not even a heavyweight? I, I fought him. He weighed two and a quarter. Okay. He was maxed out, I think, right at two and a quarter. 
So do you guys fight in the first round or the second round of the Brazilian Open? We fought in the finals. I, I fought a guy named uh, Pantera Negri, beat him, submitted or punched him out, but stopped it. He, I can't remember who he fought. We get in the finals. And uh, so we, we're, we're in the finals. And, uh, dude, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I ain't going to lie. I'm fighting Kevin. I do so he's quick as a cat and everything else. So we came up, you know, we kind of had a plan of what we want to do, cut him off and, and et cetera. Let's get him striking and stuff like that. We didn't, weren't too worried about the takedowns and things like that, but yeah, you got to be aware of it. So, you know, I go in there and, you know, if you ever watch that fight, I told you, if you didn't find it, you should watch that. I found fight. it. He clips me. He clips me with that big, is an overhand left, overhand right. The same punch he knocked out Crow Cop with, he throws it and he kind of hits me and my head just kind of snaps a little bit. It's just like, whoa, okay, come here. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my fighting career is one, I could take a shot like that from Kevin and walk through it. Not walk through it per se, but go forward. Not like, usually let's be fair and honest. We've had a great deal of wrestlers. You get that fight or flight syndrome. And, you know, uh, Invariably, you see some of the early wrestlers, they get hit, they do the duck and dive. They shrug their shoulders, drop their head, and they want to dive. Let's get to the legs. I don't want to punch anymore. Let's make the game my way. And, and I was able to kind of walk forward and said, okay, come here. Kind of punch, punch, punch. Caught him, trapped him up against the fence. Or No, he trapped, he kind of drove me up against the fence. And uh, I can remember uh, people, oh, man, get off the fence. I'm like, I'm good here. It's weird that I felt that way, but... I feel Kevin, I felt Kevin trying to drive me up into the fence. And you know how when someone's kind of pushing you so hard, they're almost shaking because they're just trying to put it. So I'm like, okay, I like this. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not threatened. Pressure down on the side. I'm not threatened. Okay. Oh, let's, let's throw a knee. Let's throw another knee. Oh, wait a minute. Here, let, let's throw a little right cross. And all of a sudden the right cross, he wakes him up. If you were to see the fight, I throw a couple knees, he creates space, throw a nice little short hook with the right. He tries to run away from him. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come here. Grab him by the back of the neck and hit him with an uppercut that put him straight down. Woo. And then I hit him two or three more times when he was on the ground. Out cold, Damn. body locked out straight. So, God. And you said you put him on the stretcher yourself. Yeah. If you, like I said, you watch the full version. It's out there. And uh, it was crazy. They're trying to pick up Kevin. They're checking him first. They're going to put him on the stretcher. And he's really, he's days. I mean, I got him. And they're kind of dragging these. I'm like, dude, just step back. So I kind of grabbed this set him the upper body, you know, his torso, get him on the stretcher. He's going out the cage and all of a sudden he puts his hands out and grabs the side of the cage. He's like, I ain't going out the stretcher. So he kind of gets off the stretcher, wobbles off and Coleman helps out and stuff like that. Wow. But, Dude, those are the early days of fighting. That's underground. Like, I mean, I just can't even. Can't the even... crazy thing about that Brazil stuff is uh, that fight was like went off at nine. The first fight went off at nine. We fought at two in the morning. Just crazy. It just goes on. The, the clubs are just, it's just crazy down there. And the fans are just animals, right? Just going wild hey, for it. Hey, they changed the referee. They put they, Mario Yamazaki ended up being the referee, but it was some other guy first. And it happened in uh, Henderson's match. He wrestled maybe against Pele. They, they, they gave Henderson the win or something like that. They stopped at Henderson. So they ref the people were throwing shit at the, excuse me, stuff. At you, the can, you can swear. Getting, getting crazy and stuff like that. So they changed the referee because they thought they were going to kill him. So they got <laughs> Mario Yamazaki who refereed the rest of the fights. Jeez. And then, uh, you know, one of my, one of the f things I was most excited to ask you about is the Pride Days, Japan, really the epicenter of fighting at that time. Now it's Las Vegas, but back then it was Tokyo Dome, uh, you know, Tokyo, Japan. You were over there for one of the biggest fight audiences of all time, 57,000, I think you said. What was yeah. that event? Just kind of share that story. That, that was uh, that was in the Tokyo Dome. And, Tokyo and Dome. Pride put on a show. I remember the first time I fought for Pride, and there was like 20,000 people there. Uh, in Tokyo, the Ariaki Stadium or something like that. I'm like, wow. Now, is it quiet I mean, or is it loud? Because I heard they're very quiet. It's quiet. It's quiet. Like, but the intros are crazy. They okay. do these pyrotechnics. They have your name on the board. Like, okay, we'll go. We'll go to the the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, fifty three thousand in the Tokyo Dome. We literally were. It's a, it's a baseball baseball venue, so to speak. So we're on. We're we're like on the first base side into the dugout. So you go down to the dugout. So if you came out the dugout and walked up, you probably have to walk to deep second base. Would have been where the ring was. Okay. So, but instead of doing that. 
what you would do is you'd go back into the balls of the Tokyo Dome, get in the car, leave, get outside, drive around to the back, back of center field, pull into an exit entrance there, and then you'd go and stage. We, you would stage right there, and then you come through the center field fence, like uh, the, there's gonna be a platform, the elevated platform, the screen cracked open and a, a ramp would walk out. You'd walk through your pyrotechnics and stuff like that, <laughs> all the way down to center field while they're playing your music. Is that where Buster Douglas knocked out Tyson, the Tokyo yes. Dome? Okay, yes. so that's where you're at. So you walk out and uh, I mean, I just, that cool. it had to be sweet. I mean, 57,000 is wild. Yeah, you just it, it just you know you're there and your mind boggles like gosh this is cool and you're just looking around and and they're they're going crazy then and, wow. and you're going out there man and I, I and I had a, a great matchup for my fight uh which ended up costing me a little bit but it was a great matchup and stuff how'd it cost you uh <clears throat> well so like I said we, they drove us around to the back right to the, the pre-stages so we're at the pre-stage and uh, Gary Goodrich, Goodrich is my corner guy. And Goodrich is like the legend over there. He's, yeah. fought over there. He's a legend anyway. So I'm there and uh, Goodrich disappears. I'm like, where'd Gary go? You know, I'm a little nervous. I'm... I have a good matchup for him fighting a boxer. Uh, Matt Skelton, he's a boxer, a little K-1. I guess he's pretty good, but he K-1. Look, he's fighting a wrestler. You're feeling good. Yeah. So I'm liking the matchup. So Gary comes back to me and says, hey, come here. And he goes, they want you to stand with him. What do you mean stand with him? They want you to stand with him. I go, I what do you mean stand? They want you to stand. They want you to fight standing up. I go, dude, that's crazy. He goes, I go, now, without saying it, we know who runs Pride, or you should know who runs Pride. Yakuza? Right? Yeah, that sounds like a good name. Yeah. So they told him to tell me I got to stand. So it's I not. They're to, not asking, they're telling. So like, what do I do? What do I do? So, and he goes, do what you have to do. So I go out there, get a shot, boom, catch him, lateral drop him, kind of a little swinging lateral, let him fly, take him down. He's hanging on like you should, you know, and I actually get to mount position. So I'm in a great position. I'm just going to, it's only a matter of time. I'm clearing. I want to, I want to posture up so yep. I can start punching down and everything else. So I'm trying to fight the position. So I come in there, I'm putting a hand in So I put a hand up on him, I'm clearing their hand. And I'm like, so I let my hand go up onto his neck, up onto his throat. And uh, I heard him like, <coughs> I'm like, are you serious? So I just kind of geared up a little bit and clamped down on his neck and did like a little rape choke with one hand and he tapped to it. Oh. So it's like I said, if you watch that fight with Skelton, I literally beat him with a rape choke. It wasn't illegal. They didn't stop it. Boom. He stopped. I win the fight off of a crazy technique that any first year jujitsu guy is going to arm bar me. If I kind of straighten out, they're going to, you know, legs coming over the top and they're going to arm bar me. And, so they uh, still pay you or what they do afterwards? Well, I, I got paid. I got paid. I, I ended up walking back and going back, you know, and we're all pumped up. I did jumping around the ring. I'm excited. The fans are going crazy. They don't, I mean, it's all good. And uh, I had uh, a couple of people come up to me and ask me what I did. And I'm like, uh, what do you mean what I did? Like, what did you do? Why'd you, what did you do? You know? And I'm like, I, I, I won. What are you, what are you talking what are you about? about? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the next thing that we had, uh, so the next event that we have over there, is uh Goodrich is fighting in uh, I don't want to call it a Grand Prix, but then they fight in the Olympic Stadium, the outdoor stadium. That's when Nogueira fought Bob Sapp. Oh wow. And uh Gary Goodrich, God, who did he fight? He had a he had a good matchup. Nogueira was there because we were in the locker room with Nogueira and uh, uh Mirko Krokop, because I remember a hand fight with Krokop and kind of drilling with Nogueira because Sapp was so big and so that was our locker room. So in, so we're in that locker room. Uh, I have a Japanese kind of manager. So they come in, they come into the locker room and they're like, Tom, we want to fit you for your gloves. I'm like, what? For the next event, we want to fit you for your gloves. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay. They hand me boxing gloves, oh, K-1 gloves. No. So I get fitted with K-1 gloves. So my next event, because I have a contract for like three fights or something like that. So the, 
this could be just debatable, but this is what happened to me. So instead, so my next fight after I told was told to stand with somebody I didn't, my next fight was a stand-up fight in a K-1 fight. And I fought on Bob Sapp's team, Seven Samurai, and I fought uh, Hirama Amada, but it was a K-1 fight. And then I ended up fighting um, Jan the Giant. I fought Mike Bernardo, and all of a sudden, I'm a K-1 fighter. Uh, folks, I didn't want to fight K-1. No. But I had a contract. And I was making a good chunk of change. I wasn't making astronomical money like some of these folks are, but I was making a, and, 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 and I'm pretty stupid now any, anyway. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to get paid excess of this. Okay. I'll fight it. And so they, when they said to try on your gloves, were they real? They make you fight that night when they put them no, on. No, I didn't fight that night. They just oh. want to make sure, cause I'm a bigger guy. They wanted to make sure the standard glove would fit me because they had two sets of gloves. And they wanted to make sure the standard glove would fit me. And I just thought, what the hell was that all about? Did you take some shots in the K-1 days? Oh, man, K-1. I should. The, the, the bad part about K-1, um, I can't remember. So I fight that one with Hirama Amada. I got TKO on my feet. They just stopped it. Uh, and I can't even know. Like I said, I've been hit a bunch in that one. Uh, then I fought Mike Bernardo. Um, and that was, that was a qualifier to the K-1 Grand Prix, the final 16. And Bernardo is a South African, a very tough fighter, gritty. He's an old school guy, and he'd been in the K1. And I think he'd been close, but never won it. Uh, so I got to fight Bernardo. So I actually studied. I, I started training, you know, stand up. And I was like, watch, well, you know, Bernardo's got a little little catch right behind his right ear. You know, you, you hook him. You catch him right here off the backside of the jaw. He goes down pretty easy. So you're, I was watching tape. So get, oh, lo and behold, so where do I go out there? I'm just training to hit him with one punch, just that little hook. So I get in there, clip him. I drop him right off the bat. This nice little looping hook, drop a K-1 fighter. Like, oh, my goodness. Get up. Uh, I may be wrong on the sequence when I say this, but he gets up now. Bernardo watching film, too. He's pretty chippy. I say chippy. I don't want to say dirty. He's chippy. He'll get in there and shoulder punch you, kind of like Granny does in the mm -hmm. fight. It's a little kind of. So he started hand fighting me and kind of getting in close to me. So I hit him with the lateral and threw him to his back. I got yellow carded. Uh, get back up. Okay, calm down. Boom, hit him again. I drop him again. So I'm, I got two two knockdowns. This is all in the first round. So Plus a lateral drop. Yeah, plus a lateral and a takedown, <laughs> right? So uh, my corner, you know, uh, Louis Ciparelli is actually there in my corner. Another guy, you only need one more, one more, one more. Put him down. Go get him. Go get him. And I'm thinking – Okay, and I'm in the Grand Prix. Lo and behold, I'm not thinking because that would have put me in the Grand Prix against really good kickboxers. But I wasn't even thinking of that. So I'm like, okay, let's go for it. So I'm going to go out there and I start, I just start brawling because I just want to hit him with that one. I, I know if I hit him right, I'll get it. But forget the technique. I just want to hit him, if that makes sense to you. I yeah. just want to throw and I want to hit him. And uh, boom, he drops me. He drops me. Boom. So all of a sudden, we got three downs in one round. This is all the first round. We're like slugging away. Whew. Go in there, boom, pop up. They're still, my corner's still chirping at me. One more knockdown, one more knockdown. I'm like, yeah, one more knockdown. Go, go, go hit that button again. So we get in there, boom, 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 get an exchange. He clips me again, stuns me. I wasn't, I mean, he knocked me back. And then uh, as I was falling down, he, he threw so hard, he was falling into me. He kind of pushed me. He kind of fell off my chest and pushed me. So, and like I said, if you ever watch a fight, my head will, will go down and it snaps when my head just, whipped across and I just I kind of brought my gloves in my hands like oh it wasn't I, I that the head snap rang my bell really well boom TKO beat me but yeah with like four four downs in one round but it's just crazy I wasn't there though for them to take away the wrestling and I guess that's crazy to me that they did that you know that's just part of it I, or it's a show I, I kind of went I kind of told you what happened why yeah yeah yeah, why yeah I believe it because if you look at my career that those those happen right in there yeah. And then the next thing they do, they throw me in with another guy named Jan the Giant, Jan Norte, who's 6'9, another South African, a huge guy. Uh, kickboxing and, only uh, or fighting? Uh, kickboxing only. Oh my God. Kickboxing only. Yeah. Uh, the, the, little, the little secret about that bout is about 12 days before that fight, Gary Goodrich is overtraining in Japan for this K1 event. And something happens. He calls me up like on a Wednesday. He says, Hey, Tom, Tom Boyd. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm laying on a couch. I've had surgery on my knee. I had a little meniscus removal on my knee. Nothing crazy, just a little tune-up on my knee. I'm just recovering from surgery. I'm like, 
you want to fight? And I go, well, how much and who? I mean, that's my first question. How much? That's knucklehead. I mean, poor wrestler. They're yeah. paying you cash, by the way. Let me, I shouldn't say that, but they yeah. pay you cash. So how much and who? So they tell me, I'm like, well, you know, I just had my knee day. Because we're working out. We're working out. No kicks, no kicks, no kicks. You just punch. You just go ahead and punch. Oh, my God. I'm there. The next day, I'm on a plane flying to Japan. Get to Japan, go into the fight. The fight's on a Saturday, which is actually on a Sunday, our time, etc. Go in there. Um, uh, Goodrich is actually on the card, so he's not even in my corner. I got another corner guy. I don't even know. I kind of know him, but not really. He goes, look, man, Jan likes to set up and take his time and feel you out. He goes, just jump on him. Just go in the corner and just tee off. Start teeing off. Whatever. I'm like, what the hell? I know I ain't got more than a round of gas, so I might as well. Ran over there into the corner. I literally kind of hop stepped over there into the corner, got him in the corner, and just started teeing off, dropped him. Now I'm still I'm in shock. First time Jan's been really been down. Get up again, go back over the corner, start teeing off again. He clips me with a shot. I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 don't, don't do it. I'm I'm like, I could close my eyes. I'm throwing punches. I'm just throwing. Clips him, knocks him down, stop the fight, TKO, beat it. Oh my god! I'm like three days notice. You Dude. people, like, this is all stuff you guys can look up in Wikipedia or whatever fight database. It's all in there. Lordy, man, just the you, you hear now about guys going over like acclimation. They're getting their diet right. You're flying over with a freaking knee that's cut open, and dude, that's awesome. I, I, I was over there. Yeah. God. And now Tom, we even get to talk about the the current stuff. But Tom, now you're at Duke, and you know, yes. you've had uh, an awesome coaching career. We don't have time to get into it, but I, I gotta have you back on, man. You're an Illinois guy. We have that in common, and we could oh, obviously. So we've now to this day. I mean, today in total, we've talked about two hours. Uh, so it's been awesome, man. Hearing these stories, I really thank you for coming on the show. Any last words uh, for the audience here, Mr. Tom? No, man, I, I, I appreciate it. Like I say, if, if if you guys were here at the beginning of uh, this podcast and 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 lo- learned a little bit about my story. Um, if I have some time, I'm like, anybody can do what I'm doing. I, I get amazed at my kids. I get, as a coach, I really get frustrated with our kids because I'm like, you can do, you can do better. You can achieve something. And they're like, no, no. I'm like everybody I've ever coached, not everybody, but the vast majority of the kids that I've coached in college had better high school credentials than I can. I did for a fact. So when you tell me you can't do something, I look in your eye and laugh because you can, because I've done it. I've done it. I've done it in unique situations, but I've done it. And look, it's out there for the people that are wrestling, fighting. It, it, it's doable. You can do it. You have to believe it. You have to have that dream. Believe it. Work for it. And it, and it can be done. And, uh, man, I like I say, as far as coming on here, I love sitting there telling stories. Uh, and like I say, you guys want to look it up at Wikipedia? My timing might be off, but the fights aren't. The dad is there and I ain't lying for you guys can check it out. Like you didn't know I fought Randleman until you saw it today. Yeah, no, I did. And then, you know, stories aside, the meaning that you just shared though, it's like, Hey man, never even qualified for the Illinois state tournament. And like, here you are making a living out of it. So there's a, that's a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration for a lot of guys out there. Tom Erickson. Thanks for your time today, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Take Peace, care. Man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. That's it for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode was brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off on your next purchase with the promo code WCML at manscaped.com.